today I am very excited because we have uh, the founder and executive director of the Xena Project. You've heard me talk about this before. It's an organization devoted to equipping the spirit of warriors. Who are warriors? Veterans, first responders, anybody who's out there in the trenches uh, trying to deal with life. Uh, we have those here, and I'm grateful for your service as we celebrate belated uh, Veterans Day. Uh, thank you for what you've done, for what you are doing on the front lines still. Uh, we appreciate you. Uh, I want to also highlight that we have books available. It's called Show Me the Light, Personal Ministry, One Decision at a Time. Uh, Jan wrote this book, and it is her story of how the Xena Project came to be, as well as kind of a tutorial if you have a desire to start a personal ministry, let this be your guidebook. Uh, they are free for the taking. They're up here in front. We have extras in the bag. The reason that uh, I like this is Jan's uh, got a unique history, and she's uniquely qualified to do this. She's a, a Naval Academy graduate, comes from a military family, fine tradition way, way back. Um, she spent a little time in a place called Afghanistan. She came home. Uh, she was looking to help veterans suffering from the moral injuries of war. Uh, there are physical injuries, but there are moral injuries. They're harder to see, but more profound in impact. And as she looked, she couldn't find anything that she was satisfied with. So being Jan, she said, I'm going to start my own. And so this book is kind of the story of how that all got started, the things that she went, some of the things that she went through. She doesn't have time to tell you everything today or we'd be here till tonight. Um, but I've asked her to come and share with us today because this is a powerful, powerful ministry for a, a population that has seen too much, uh, done too much uh, so that we can live in freedom. And I just want you to to hear from her, uh, her heart for this ministry and how we can contribute and help in prayer and in other ways as well. So before I uh, ask her up here, uh, I would like to pray. And uh, if you would join me in a word of prayer, please. God, we thank you as we uh, celebrate belatedly this Veterans Day. We thank you for all those who are willing to run towards danger so that we don't have to. We thank you that they stand and hold that line to keep us safe and to give us the freedom that we sometimes take for granted. God, I pray that we would never take that freedom for granted, that we would uh, not think twice about having to meet in a place like this because we recognize the gifts and the sacrifices that have been given. God, I thank you for those who are still serving. I pray your protection over them. I pray your wisdom guides their decisions. I pray that no weapon formed of this earth would ever prosper against any of them. And I pray that the way that they conduct themselves shows a higher ideal, a way to live in the true freedom the freedom given by your son, Jesus Christ. And God, as we celebrate freedom, my prayer is that we would never forget the ultimate freedom, the freedom bought at the, the price of the cross, the freedom that your son, Jesus, offers all who believe. And God, we celebrate that freedom most of all today. And as we bring Jan forward to speak, I pray that you would enliven her heart with your Holy Spirit, guide her speech, guide her thoughts, guide her message so that you can guide your message into our hearts and we can respond accordingly. God, we give you all the thanks and the praise and the glory for you alone are worthy. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm going to invite Jan to come on up, and I'm going to invite you to give her a warm WordServe welcome. Perfect. Oh, there's a clock in the back. See, things conspired to get you out of here on time. Um, I am Jan. That welcome is much warmer than I deserve, and I'm very grateful for it. 
I love being in this church. Um, I see a lot of familiar faces, but also a lot of new ones. The last time I spoke here two and a half years ago was the day that my eight-year-old daughter received her first communion. Uh, And so your congregation is forever a place where, quite frankly, I walk through the doors already with tears in my eyes, no matter where we're gathering. So thank you for being who you are, uh, what you are, and how you are in a community. I also look out and see people who have supported and prayed for the Xena Project for years. And Pastor Bill, in full disclosure, has been our lead pastor at the Xena Project for a number of years. This is a man who has seen me cry, seen me rage, seen me depressed, seen me happy. And the first few years, we joked that every time the question was, is the Xena Project going to go do whatever, I would go, yes, and Bill would go, no. You know, <laughs> because, <laughs> because as you know, he's a master logistician, right? And I would go, we're doing it. And he'd go, we have no resources, right? <laughs> so, uh, and which I know is, you know, and then the magic happens and the spirit comes in and it's all fine. But his, all that to say that his is a voice, I still, he's still one of the first people I call and go, what should we do? Should we do this, right? Because the Xena Project is an organization that facilitates mental, emotional, and spiritual well-being for veterans, law enforcement, first responders, and families. And we take family to mean absolutely anything that it means to you. I don't care if they're green, don't care if they're related by blood, don't care if that was six ex-wives ago, or you know some neighbor who was inadvertently traumatized by our mere presence, which again is not as much of a joke as I'd, <laughs> as I'd like it to be, right? If you say they're family, they're family, that's it. Okay? At this point in our existence, uh, looking into year eight, can you believe that? Eight years of running the Xena Project. If you're counting, that's about 3,000 people, okay? All served free of charge. We are entirely supported by local churches and private individuals. Um, We've been blessed and privileged to be supported by grant-making organizations over the years, but we found that they didn't suit us because they didn't move as fast as we do. Because if I meet you out here after this talk and you go, hey, I'm in need, or somebody I know and love is in need, the next question will be, what do you need? That's the only question. And if you don't know what you need, let's pray, right? That's ministry. But as you know, because WordServe remains one of the most agile, responsive congregations I have ever had the privilege of knowing. Ever. And I've had the privilege of meeting congregations all over the world. You guys are special in ways that I hope you know and I hope you never let go of. And you have the right leadership to sustain that. Okay? And the Xena Project works very hard to be like you in that way. Very agile, very responsive. So anything that has even an iota of bureaucracy isn't going to be able to identify with that, right? They're going to go do the paperwork and going, we're already on to the next 10 people, right? So thank you for your support, okay? Today, our programs, well, let's back up. We're not going to get to everything, right? Unless you want to stay till midnight, because I will, with pleasure. But, but unless you want that, so please pick up some books. This is the purpose of the book, right? And the purpose of some other materials that we give out. What we realized about uh, five or 600 veterans in was that the thing that keeps us up at night is never the bullets. It's never the bullets, okay? Um, it's very tempting to think that that's what it is, but it's not because we signed up for that. Okay. Law enforcement signed up for that. Veterans signed up for that. People who have fought since the beginning of time, leading philosophers in world history who fought, they all could have told you, you sign on this line, you're going to have nightmares. And we signed up anyway. Okay. The things that keep us up 
at night, the things that hurt the most are when your soul gets hurt. And that's an intrinsically human experience. Anybody know what that's like? Anybody had a loss or a trauma or a pain or a vision or a nightmare or anything and it hurts your soul? Okay, and it doesn't have to be a big thing. This is a highly individualistic concept. Highly individualistic. I was a photographer in Afghanistan, so I had the privilege of photographing thousands of men, and it, it was all men, I believe, so that's, that's not a biased statement there, but thousands of men all over the country. I've had the privilege of photographing people all over the world, and I say that only to say that when you look at somebody through a lens, they can't hide from you. They can't hide. That thing's creepy powerful, right? Full stalker mode with the long lenses. Whatever, there's go whatever they're going through is going to show up on your camera. Now, of all the things and all the places and all the people and all the faces, in my dreams, there's one set of eyes from an individual I met one person. One, one person I met one time. What about that experience stands out? Okay, I could tell you now. It's because of the things that that person did and they were a professional interrogator in Afghanistan, right? So there's something that that does. There's a kind of evil that it's hard to describe. But that person looking at me did more to my soul than all the bullets and all the combat and all the, that stuck with me, okay? Is that sensical? No. And everybody we meet has a similar story. You go, what's on your soul? And the thing that they tell you is, you would never guess it in a million years, if they even tell you, if they even share it with you. And that's the beautiful thing about programs that try and heal, facilitate healing from moral injury. You don't have to know. You don't have to know. We don't have to know. We just have to show up and commit to walking with people. And that's it. You create a safe space and you hold the line, whatever that means. That's all you do, okay? And if you're a veteran, or you've served in law enforcement, or you're a parent, right, or you've ever tried to care for anyone in any way in your entire life, you know what that is. You know what that is to show up for someone, to stay there, and to hold the line. And you don't overcomplicate it. All that's happened in the last eight years is we've gotten more and more and more simple. All the other questions are logistical ones. Especially in, you know, so, oh gosh, I'm thinking about what Fulcher looked like eight years ago, right? Dramatically different, dramatically different. But I would still definitely put this area, West Fort Bend County, in rural population, right? And that's what we specialize in. We specialize in rural area outreach. We specialize, we focus on unmet needs. And we focus on voids and service on the theory that we can partner with people who are already doing great things. We can train other organizations on how to do great things. But where we belong is in the areas where no one else is. And usually, if there's a void in service, it's not because nobody's ever noticed it. We're just not that smart, <laughs> okay? It's, it's not because nobody's ever gone, hey, so-and-so's alone in the woods, right? It's because nobody knows how to get to him in the woods, or her in the woods, or that family or nobody's arranged and committed the resources in the appropriate way. And here's the really beautiful thing about military veterans. That's all we do, is logistics. You might be doing logistics in a hyper-focused way, if you have particular training or skill sets, but you break it down 
especially Marines. Marines are fantastic for this, right? Marines first and foremost. I came from a Marine Corps family, uh, though I joined the Navy to everyone's eternal shame, okay? <laughs> Uh, but th that's really all we do, is we get things and people from point A to point B in an efficient way, no matter what stands in the middle. That's all that we do. So we are perfectly suited for rural area ministry. Perfectly. That guy in the woods, oh, we're going to get him, whether he wants to be got or not. We're going to find him, and we're going to offer him a choice, okay? So the logistic part has led us to some really incredible places, really incredible places. Our definition of family that I mentioned earlier, that matters because we are the only organization that I know of that provides services, and everything we do is free, by the way, and it always will be, always will be. If all we've got is spaghetti and duct tape and you know WD-40, we've done more with less, and you're welcome to it, okay? That definition of family matters because we are the only organization in the greater Houston area that holds that definition. Everywhere else you go, if you want, you know, you need counseling or, or something like that, they'll go, okay, well, where's your marriage certificate? Okay, well, where's the adoption record? And if you're dealing with a population of people that by default do the things that need to be done and are somewhat you know, distrusting of, of authority and bureaucracy, the odds of us having that paperwork in order are like next to nothing, okay? And the Xena Project actually exists. Bill's intro was very kind, but you can read about it in the book. The Xena Project actually exists because when I got back from Afghanistan, everywhere I went, I just needed something. You know, I wasn't horribly bad off, but I wasn't sleeping, I was drinking a little too much. It just, uh, let's work on this. Everywhere I went handed me 20 pages of paperwork and said, fill this out and see a doctor before you can pet this horse or talk to this therapist or whatever. And every single place I handed them their paperwork back and walked out. Every single place. That's why we exist. Because if that was a barrier of entry for me with mild traumatic brain injury, relatively mild trauma, right, how much of a barrier to entry would it be to someone who was in true crisis when they arrived? And oh, by the way, where are the people who are talking about God without saying God? Because someone in that level of trauma, if you start going, well, the Bible says they're going to go see ya, right? So how do you get them to the Bible? How do you get them to the Word? How do you get them to Christ? And hold the line while they develop that relationship, create a safe space for them to develop that relationship. How do you do that? That's the real question. And we found some really fantastic answers. And we're in <laughs> the weirdest places these days. Because then you go, okay, that's the objective. That's the objective. Got to get them in the word. Got to get them to Christ. The spirit's got to do it. But we can set the conditions. We can help set the conditions. And usually in a traumatized population, the conditions resolve around issues of safety. So we can create physically, emotionally, and spiritually safe places for people to be whatever they are. H have you ever, and you may not have, but have you ever been so angry or depressed or lost feeling that you wanted to scream at God? You may not have been, but you may have. And if you have been that way, have you ever literally screamed at God? Maybe it would have helped if you had, quite frankly. God's not surprised. God's not surprised. He knows. And that's one of the best things that the Xena Project does. And Bill used to joke uh, that in seminary they, you know, teach you to keep a composed face, which I do not have that gift. 
I don't. I just, I, I just don't. But that all training is exceeded by some of the things that happen at the Xena Project. <laughs> this is, did not see that coming, right? Did not see that coming. I'm not equipped for that. I'm not equipped for that. But if somebody goes, hey, I'm full of rage and angry, and you go, okay, scream. Why not? God already knows. I don't care. You don't care. None of us care because we've been there too. And if what you need to let that out so you can open that book is to scream, scream. We've had more people walk into pastors at the Xena Project and scream at the top of their lungs than I knew were around. And they come back calm and they come back open. Okay? You, want, you don't want to open a Bible? Fine. I'm not going to smack you with it, but here's what we're going to do. We're going to write this, and this always cracks me up because people go, oh, it's, it's uh, you know, it talks about God without talking about God. There is literally scripture on every fourth page. Literally. This, this chapter is called heroin, okay? Every fourth page has scripture. Most of it NIV, some of it King James. So, I mean, this is not like entry-level stuff, right? And people will look me dead in the eyes, and they will cry, and they will go, oh, this is so much more approachable than the Bible. And I'm like, it's a reprint of the Bible. <laughs> right? Again, more and more simple. But if that thing, because it's a pretty blue color, looks more accessible to you than this thing, fine. It's the same word. It's the same word, and our only job is to get you there in as many creative ways as we can and let the Spirit do the rest. That's how we ended up in jails, because you know what makes it really hard to read? Well, there are a couple of things. One of them, brain injury, right? And so a few years back, uh, Bill put together a program that welcomed people with brain injury to churches. You know the number one thing that drives me, that makes it hard for me personally, and I'll just speak to my own experience because I don't want to presume to other people's? Uh, fluorescent lights, fluorescent lights, and when the microphones are off, and when there are too many bright colored lights. That describes most modern churches, right? So there's a space and there's a need in the community for something that's a little bit different, and guess what? It's not just veterans. It's a lot of people who are hard of hearing or have any sort of uh, neurodegenerative disease, that sort of thing, right? That's where community comes in. That's where the idea of community which is fundamentally healing. While I'm on this point, we're just freestyle at this point, um, I think that one of the most damaging things to the veteran community is the idea that veterans are special, right? Because we're not. We're just not. And the more we're treated as something separate and apart, the more separate and apart we become. Have we had some experiences that maybe not everyone has? Yes, absolutely. But let's go back to that thing. What's the thing that really keeps you up at night? Okay, all of us signed up for bullets. And listen, it sounds different when it's coming at you than it does when you fire it. And that's always a little surprising at first. You're like, I, you know, it takes you a few engagements to actually figure out what's going on. And anybody who tells you otherwise is probably fibbing or drunk, right? I mean, the first time you had an incoming, I literally went, what is happening, right? And somebody's like, oh, we brought a girl to war. That was a mistake, right? <laughs> Infantry units get real excited when female officer photographers show up. Let me just tell you, because we are trained for that. No. No. We are not trained for that. We are a huge liability. Most of every unit I was embedded with, their major energy went toward making sure I didn't get kidnapped, right? Which is not, not what they want to do, okay? All that to say, the 
uh, none of us, none of us feel equipped. None of us feel qualified. None of us feel, most of us don't feel like we did a good job. Is that familiar? Okay. But we did sign up for bullets. So that's not a surprise. What is a surprise is when you come back and you don't have any money and you mismanage the money you have and you get divorced two or three times because you don't have the communication skills to keep your marriage intact and you don't have Christ at the center of your marriage anyway. What is surprising, 85% uh, divorce rate, by the way, in the combat veteran community, post-combat tour, 85%. The only thing that comes even close is law enforcement. It is a surprise when we start getting diagnosed with cancers and neurodegenerative diseases in our 30s because of toxic exposure. Those things are surprises. Those things need Christ to walk through, okay? And those things are the things that ultimately isolate us. It's not usually just the combat. And I say that to say, if you've been married for 50 years, or 40 years, or 30 years, or 10 years, do you think that maybe you have a word or two you could share with somebody who's trying to stay married? Yes. Does it matter if you're a veteran? No. <laughs> no. You have a happy, healthy, thriving, God-centered marriage. And so this idea that veterans are special and can only be understood by other veterans is damaging to our community because it isolates us even. And when you talk about moral injury, when you talk about soul wounds, the greatest soul wound that I know of is the idea that we are alone. Because that extinguishes all hope, this idea that you're alone. It is a recognized international torture tactic to make people alone. You take animal species and you separate them, they die. There's a very well-known study, uh, well-known series of chimpanzee studies in Asia where if you separate chimpanzees, they literally die. I don't think we're that different from the rest of God's creation, special and apart, obviously, right? But that certainly, uh, certainly is something I think we can all relate to. How am I doing? I think I have like 50 minutes, right? All right. <laughs> I have no shame in the game. We're leaving on time, people. 175th anniversary. All right. So here's what I want to leave you with. This came to, uh, this actually came to me as I was driving over. The, fir the first thing I want to leave you with is Romans 1.20. And Romans, is, Romans 1.20 is the idea of a revealed theology, right? Is the idea that the spirit is manifest in everything, cannot be denied, and there is no excuse, therefore, for denial, right? That is the cornerstone of the Xena Project ministry because it means no matter what we do, how we do it, the spirit of Christ can come through in the work, and there is no excuse for us not doing it and not trying all the ways that we can. We ended up in jail because we realized that, hey, you can't read a book if you have a, you know, a brain injury can make it hard, so we're going to design church services. You know what else makes it hard? If you're high or drunk. You can't get in the word if you're high or drunk. So we looked at all the people because addiction is the number one problem in the veteran community. Number one problem is addiction to both prescribed drugs and street narcotics. And we've taught law enforcement about this for the last six years, and we're on the verge of developing a, a nationwide training program in moral injury. That's breaking news. I'm super excited about it, new this week. Um, so then we started asking, okay, well, where can we meet our people with drug problems? Where can we meet them? When was the last time they were sober? In jail. 
So now we work in jails, right? Keep it simple. Keep it really, 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 really simple. Romans 1.20. The other thing that came to me today was Romans 5.4, all right? Because this is, the, this is the tactical way to do ministry the way that we do it. So we're talking about tribulations and, and patience, and James is fantastic, fantastic, fantastic. If you've not spent quality time in James, please do that. I cannot say enough how powerful that is and how much that will change your life. But 5.4 says, oh, let's do 3 and 4. We glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience, experience, and experience, hope. And hope is the key that unlocks moral injury and lets the spirit in. Because there is only one ultimate and true source of hope, and that is Christ. Okay, but tactically, let's walk back. Patience. Patience is the part where no matter what the person in front of you is going through, within parameters of physical safety, of course, you just don't walk away. And that's the part where you hold the safe space, even if they're raging, even if they're sobbing, even if the things that they're saying scare you or are deeply personal to you. You just don't walk away. Even if they have to go to jail first and you're there when they get out. That's fine. We regularly have people call us years after they first heard about us. Regularly. That happened even this week. They weren't ready at the time or they weren't safe at the time or they weren't sober at the time and now they are. Now they're ready. That part is the patience. Patience creates experience. Is anybody an animal person? Especially big dogs, horses, livestock, anything kind of intimidatingly large, right? How many good encounters do you have to have with something that's been beaten before, before it trusts you or takes food from you or whatever? It's not one. It might be 10, might be 100, might be 1,000, but it's not one. So that's where the patient starts to breed the experience, and through the experience that they won't be hurt again in this space by you comes hope. And if we can spark that hope, do anything that helps spark that hope, just for a second, the Spirit's got it. Then it's between them and God. But that first part, patience, experience, hope, that's where we work. And there are an infinite number of things to be done in that space. So I have no idea what the next 8, 10, 20 years will hold. I know that when I look at this row and I think about the Center for the Foundation of Ethics and I think about all the research in moral apologetics in particular, and, and next time let's talk about C.S. Lewis. Let's do that. We will be here till midnight. It'll be fantastic, okay? But I look at this row and I see the future of the Xena Project because nothing that we do is special. It's just not. It, it takes very little money. It takes the right people. It takes the right circumstances, and it takes the right attitude. And oh, by the way, you can teach other people, other organizations, other congregations how to work just like the Xena Project does and just like WordServe does because they're very similar. That can be taught to people. And think about what that would do for the kingdom of Christ. If every grassroots ministry, I think the state of Texas has started calling us a parachurch, which cracks me up, because I can't decide if it sounds like legitimate or like anarchist, or both, which is perfect. Either way, I love it. If every little grassroots ministry in our community, in our state, in our country, with you know a few thousand dollars and a commitment, could reach 3,000 people for the kingdom of Christ, that's game over, right? Speaking of game over, 
we're at 21 minutes. Thank you, guys. I appreciate your time. I hope to continue the conversation, and I'm really, really glad to be here. So thanks for having me.